This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Okay. Um, last week we spoke about the different uh, variables, the different, um, let's call them, aspects of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that go into the Amun of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, we spoke about his um, omnipotence, about his being everywhere, about his knowing all, etc. In other words, not limiting um, the power and so on. There's one more aspect which is leading to the next step that's going to be um, very, very significant and a big divider between um, two groups of believers, and that is... HaKadosh Baruch Hu has two aspects. We will call them Chachma, and we will call it Ratzon. Those are two aspects that come across to us that are really um, a big divide between um, nominal believers and what's expected in terms of Amuna, the way we understand it. <clears throat> if a person believes in God, firmly so, the way he believes in gravity. It's a reality. It's there. Um, even though I can't see it, but um, I'm very, very convinced it exists, which is the belief of many uh, secular people that say they believe in God. But it, there's no understanding that, A, the world is premeditated to take on a certain form. In other words, there's a goal and it has been brought to a certain point um, because of a goal in mind. Secondly, that there is an expectation, which we referred to briefly last time as God as a moral authority. That is the second part, um, what, what's colloquially called a personal God. In other words, if we imagine God as a force, the way uh, Aristotle imagined it, as a necessary part of physics, then that part many people feel comfortable believing in. Um, first of all, it's safely away. It's, it's very hard to, it doesn't interfere terribly with our lives. Um, you know, the, the laws of gravity exist and they don't make demands on us other than when it, when it pulls us down, but it's not, it, it has no expectation of us, it doesn't mean anything, and believing or not believing in it is just simply a matter of uh, intellectual curiosity, and it's sort of a nice thing to discuss. <clears throat> but the idea that, A, everything in the world is there with a purpose, that's called Chachma. Chachma doesn't mean God uses the mechanics of thinking the way we understand it, but rather that God... Um, that steps are leading somewhere, and the world has purpose to it. That's one st- a strong belief, and that would be called Hashkacha. And the second one is that there is a divine will, and once again, we're not describing him, we're describing to us, there is obligation and expectation to perform in a certain way, um, which I guess is the... Uh, sort of the subdivision of what we call God as the moral authority and therefore that's where religion comes into it that we are obligated to follow it and there is that which we ought to follow and can follow and that's a tough one because 
um, that that interferes terribly with our lives, or better said, it takes over our lives. Um, this is the part of Amunah that covers the belief that Akadosh Baruch Hu gave Torah. More strongly, more fundamentally, the Rambam lists one of the fundamentals that God um, bestows prophecy. The, the fundamental aspect of that belief is not that there happens to be a person who's a prophet, but A, that God communicates with man. It's not a lifeless um, a, a construct of like gravity, but it's rather this communication with man. Um, there is a message to man, and it obligates man. Though that's basically all under that heading of, we would call it Torah, and it is probably the more, um, it, it, it's the area that is much harder to, um, to believe in, simply because it's, it's, it makes a lot of demands on us, it's a lot more specific, and uh, for a lot of people that's the real battleground. So that, I think, completes for us the picture that we said before of what is the God you believe in. Yes, Pinchas. So last week we spoke about how when we talk about different mitos of Hashem, such as Gevura, uh, Rachanim, that's sort of just our perception. Yes. Whereas we're talking about, so to speak, God's interaction with this world, but not, we can't really talk about it. Yes. God. So when we're talking about the Ratzon of Hashem, is that we just perceive it as being a Ratzon, but really, if you can say something like God doesn't really have a Ratzon, does it? Well, for us... It means that well, let's let's use uh, uh, an illustration. In, in when we say that gravity pulls everything down, gravity may not be pulling everything down. It may be actually that we're finding the shortest path, uh, the way Einstein's constructed it. But it is very it is a very useful uh, way of describing it. Gravity is like a hand pulling us down. It fits well, and so on. When we say God has a will, it means obligation, expectation, as opposed to just a thing that exists. Um, how that works, and let's, let's, let's take the fancy words out, why, if, if any time I want something from somebody, implies that I'm missing something. If I'd like you to get me a glass of water, if I'd like you to behave, if I'd like you to do anything, that automatically implies I'm missing something. Um, if I want a glass of water, I'm missing a glass of water. If I want you to behave, I'm a teacher, I'm a parent, and uh, I, it's something that it'll, it'll make me really upset because I feel I'm missing something. We can't apply that to God. And the Pasik says, if you've done well, what, what have you given to Gadish Baruch Hu? And if you've sinned, what have you taken from him? But <clears throat> as far as we're concerned, we really are doing something. We're rupturing a relationship. So we describe it as will in the same sense that um, when a human being wants something, we talk about... Um, the distinction between potential and actualization. The will means um, I would like to move something towards where it's not, but where it can be. So if I would want a glass of water, means um, will always describes um, I want to go towards something. So I would like a glass of water means um, we don't have a glass of water, but you can get a glass of water. I would like you to behave. I'd like you to study. So that's what a description of will means to us. Just like will is the inner core of a personality, the inner core of the relationship to God is God has an ongoing relationship with a, a with a direction where it ought to be headed to. 
And we describe that as Ratzon. We live it that way. But it's not a description of God's psychology. That's really w- what it is. Um, <clears throat> now let's move on to the next topic. Now, we can go in two ways here. And I'd like to pause here. We, w- we can... The next train of thought would be to map out uh, God giving the Torah, prophecy, etc., etc. I would like to stop at this point and go back and ask ourselves, well, we've mapped out what we ought to believe. How do we know it's true? Um, how do we know it's right? How do we prove it, etc.? Which will, the, a lot of the principles, a lot of the points we'll make here are going to um, be relevant for the next uh, things we discuss as well. It's a general topic of proofs and, and so on. Let's um, first toss out a bunch of caveats. Um, that we, the, the first thing, let me make it very clear, we will not be able to prove anything. I think that's a very important statement. Um, the Ramban says it, and the Ramban says it in his introduction to Milchamas Hashem, and he says, I don't recall the Lushen exactly, but something along the lines that there is no mofes chotech bechachmas torasenu and Cheshvan, I think, is the Lashon. Pretty much, I, I think I, I have it down. The, um, the Ramban says, proofs exist only in myth, not in Torah. Let's go slowly and let's um, discuss it. Myth is the most provable of all disciplines that we have. Two and two will equal four forever and ever and ever. Um, in, a, in a triangle, A squared and B squared will always equal C squared. It's been up for grabs, but um, let's assume that to be like that. But in math, like pure math, let's geometry is already a step away from math. But in pure math, um, you know, if, if A squared equals B, then A will equal the square root of B. Um, that will be true for any number in any universe we assume, and so on and so forth. It's not even clear why that is. Is it because math is absolute truth, or is it because math is a, sim- a system? Um, you know, in, in Monopoly, if you cross, um, if you cr- if, if you pass by home, you're going to pick up two hundred dollars always. At least in my days, it was true. Um, you know, unless you got the special card, it, it, it's always true. That's because the, um, the the Mattel decided that that's the way Hasbro or Mattel, whoever made Monopoly, made a decision, and, and that's what it is. And math is a system, a constructed system. It, it works well. It applies all the world. But in the system, two and two equals four. So by definition, four over two is going to equal two. It's it's more. That's how you defined it. Um, if I say an olive is an olive, then the word olive is always going to mean olive simply because. That's what I said it is. It's a, it's, it's a round circle. So, but math is absolute. Math can be proven absolutely. And once something is proven, it is absolute. That is true about math. Let's go on to chemistry or physics. Chemistry and physics can be proven to a great degree. I can, I can take a little experiment and take X amount of um, gasoline, burn it for X amount of time, and get X amount of pressure out of it. That ought to be true always. There are some variations I discover. 
It depends on the altitude, depends on the pressure, depends on, on, on some other factors, depends on the type of casing it's in, let's say. But those can also be quantified. So chemistry and physics can be quantified. They don't have that same absolute sense as, as, as math, but um, you, you could always put it into rules and so on. Biology is more complex. Um, if you, things work with statistical um, regularity. 98% of people that take penicillin for a certain bug will be cured, and 1% will have allergic reaction, 1% will not be affected. That tends to stay pretty well, but you can't exact duplication you can't get. You, 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 it's, it's much more complex, much more fluid, and, but, we, but it's still within the realm of quantification. Then we go to something like psychology, which we can make some true principles about it. We can, um, we can say things that are truths, but very, very difficult to quantify it. Um, giving a child love is positive. But how positive, and what's love, and how much love is love, and how much discipline comes in with the love, you can only give general, generalizations, and yet we accept it to be a discipline that contains a lot of truth. And because, um, generally speaking, it does go, even though you can't prove anything conclusively, theories come and go, not because science is so, not because psychology is so sloppy, um, but rather because by the nature of it, proofs tend to be to come and go. Um, so it's, it's just not provable. It's something that we have a sense of truth to it, and uh, as, as a person develops and so on and so forth, he will feel more comfortable about the points he makes and the observations seems to fit well with the theories, but it's a very different. In philosophy, um, anyone who is at all familiar reading anything of in the nature of philosophy, um, the word proof is laughable. Um, many great thinkers have made many great points. They have many counterpoints that have been made. Many counterpoints have been counted, and so on. Um, we we don't expect when we read something, no, we don't expect it to be infallible. We don't expect it that it can be infallible. So the question is, um, well. Philosophy deals with some of the most important issues in life. Um, biology is important. It's important to know how to treat a heart attack and so on and so forth. But philosophy, in its broad sense, is dealing with questions of good and bad, morality, um, the right life to live a person, happiness, so, or things of, of a very, very significant nature. And if we can't prove it, then, then, then if we don't have any proofs. What's the point of all of, all of those works are written. I mean, by now, anyone knows that you can pro prove and counter-prove, and, um, and it's really endless. Now, I once heard a description by a woman um, in Yisrael. They gave, she won the prize um, on, on Yom Atzimut. They have, like, sort of the highest Israeli prizes for accomplishments in science and discipline and so on. And they had a woman, her name is Ruth something, I forgot what it is. She's translated a lot of works and a lot of philosophy works into Hebrew, a lot of, a lot of classics. And um, she described her discipline, I guess, as the endless quest for something that doesn't exist. 
which is a very interesting. Uh, I always wondered why I'm supposed to support that, why textiles are supposed to support that. But at any rate, I think it was a very good feeling about um, what it's like. You can you you bring a lot of so. so Let's ask, let's ask ourselves, is it a waste of time? Is it a waste of time to, to talk about things that can't be proven right or wrong? And the answer is, the word proof is throwing us off. Um, we, we, um, we do, most of our lives we live without proof. Um, we do business deals that are not infallible. Um, if they're infallible, you get 2% at your local bank. And that's not even so infallible anymore. But um, there are no such things. A, a healthy businessman takes risks. And he doesn't take risks because he wants to throw his money away, but because he feels strongly this is right. Um, we marry somebody, there is nothing that tells us, you know, with any certainty. And, you know, and, and there is nothing that can ever tell us a certainty, but we build our lives around it. We raise our children. Um, it's not like uh, you can go to a doctor and get kind of weigh them and measure them, X-ray them, and you know you get a very clear sense of what's wrong, what's not wrong. In terms of the chinuch and the dealing with them, um, we don't have anything like it. We can't have anything like it. But still, um, we do have. We do feel good about it. We don't feel that we're, most of the time, at least, that we're just wandering in the darkness and taking random pot shots. Anybody who's in business and feels that he's taking random pot shots should stick to lottery tickets. It'll do a lot better that way. Um, there's no... Um, he definitely feels... So, so what is that? So there is a person... In, in a person's mind, there is the Bina structure, Bina, Beisud Nun Hei, Beisud Nun Hei, which, um, which is sort of what we would call mathematical processing. And that deals well with proof, uh, with mathematical sort of proof and so on. There's something called Das, which has different connotations. Um, we've spoken on occasion about Das as, as being the part that connects it to the person. But Das has, das has another um, facet to it. The Gemara says in Chulin, there's a question between of um, whether Gira uh, Nosh is the right foot, the left foot. And the Gemara says it's the right foot. Vadas Noite. Vadas Machras, it says. The mind... The das kind of is machria. So the Gemara asks, das Torah or das nota? Das Torah means, is the pshat that the Torah says so? You know, you have a raya of some sort. Or is the pshat looking at the tzadim, looking at the different sides of it, um, it seems to you that it's the right side. And the Gemara says, das nota. That it's, it's the das is, seems to be going that direction. So the word das would be the ability of a person to weigh different evidences and to make a reasonable, rational conclusion. Um, it's not um, mofes, it's not proof in the strict sense of the word, but it's part of the human abilities and that's how great businessmen are great businessmen. Um, unless they have insider trading, they don't know for sure what's going to be. And they just have, they weigh the sides, and this seems to be reasonable. And the results bear out his reasonableness. Um, I, I, uh, I, I know somebody who was one of the world's great geniuses, actually two or three of them, who um, decided to earn money 
using their brain power to be in the stock market. And uh, they were miserable failures, really, really, really bankrupted. And one of them was very frustrated, and he asked a friend of mine, I don't understand, I, I was the biggest Elu in Yeshiva, and I'm miles of everybody else, why is it that I can't do well in the stock market? And he said that's exactly why. He said stock market is an anticipation of where everybody else's DAS is going to. And so if you're one step ahead of everybody else's DAS and you say the market will act this way, then you've got it made. You're five steps ahead of everybody. Nobody's even thinking about where you, you think they want to go, and that's why you can't anticipate the market. The DAS is a, 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 a human faculty a lot more important in some ways than the Bina process. The so-called, quote-unquote, nerdy scientist type um, is a person who has a lot of Bina and many times short on DAS. He can, he can do the technical processing extremely well, given the information, given the algorithms. He comes up with the results splendidly. But when he needs to weigh things, he's at a loss. He, he's almost helpless in life because most of life doesn't, doesn't have that. So DAS is the human faculty of being able to weigh things and come up with the reasonable conclusion. It's the type of thing that a judge will use in a case, or to use in a case. Um, you have different arguments, you have evidence introduced by different sides. Unless you have a clear-cut video of the event or an admission, you have evidence, you don't have proof. The word proof is just stronger evidence. Um, you know, if you find DNA on somebody else, the, the guy, the crook, may have taken DNA and smeared it on him. Those are all circumstantial evidence, but for society to function, we need to have DAS, we have DAS, and we make those even conclusions. So in the large world of um, Emuna and Deos and all of those things, we don't deal with proofs. I, I think that word is a terrible misnomer. But we deal with a lot of credible um, contemplations, a lot of thinking about the world, and you know, with many different ways, the picture becomes stronger and, and, and um, more credible until it reaches a certain point that we feel this must be it. Yes? So, it's really saying that it's reasonable to believe in Hashem and that Hashem gave us the Torah and this is what we have an obligation to do, or is it unreasonable to not believe that? Okay, so, so let's go first. The, the, the obligation of Emuna is going to obligate us to keep thinking about all of those different factors that lead us to, 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 to believe in Akash and just and, and the thing is, in the world of um, Das, there are the gradations. Proof doesn't come in gradations. Um, if, if, if an equation you, you, if, if equation doesn't work out 100 percent, it's disproven, and if you haven't worked it out 100 percent, it's not proven. But if, I, if, if I'm trying to, to prove an equation, I prove it for every case except for uh, a certain very small class of numbers, it's still not proven. Um, in these things, I can say it's up in the air, it's reasonable, it's very reasonable, it's powerfully reasonable, and to me, it is a certainty. Those are all, it, 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 those are all um, valid uh, conclusions. The mitzvah of Emunah, therefore, is not either or. It's not your amayman or you're not amayman. You strengthen it by different types, as bonus will speak about, 
and um, you know, and and that's part of his amuna to study these things, to look at these things, to think about these things. There is um, another flip side to this that makes it problematic. A proof is very rarely, um, very rarely um, likely to be tampered with. In other words, in math, if 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 a guy cooks the books by adding the figures wrong, if he if he has five million dollar revenues and writes it down as eight million dollars, um, it's quite easy to catch it, and and it's glaring, and it's it's you know it it doesn't lend itself well to um, for fraud, but on the other hand, when I tell my investors this is a very reasonable investment. Um, that's that's you know that's that is um, easy to be fraudulent about, and I can protest my innocence. Look at this, look this, look that. Even and this is the catch for myself. For instance, somebody comes to me, a snake oil salesman, and he's a good talker, and he 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 convinces me, and he sh- and he kind of demonstrates to me that I'm going to be making. Uh, this my hundred thousand dollar investment will come back as five hundred million dollars. Um, I I my my das is going to be very 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 um, it, it warped by the illusion of the money. Um, I was once reading a, a book about I think there, there, I think the company's name was AMD. I think it was like in the late eighties early nineties. It was a big agriculture. Um, trading company that they found was guilty of insider trading, and uh, somebody sat in jail. But um, it was a huge company, and I believe it was the CEO. One of the things they had lost money in was the Nigerian fax uh, frauds, where you get this 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 um, weird letter that somebody in Nigeria is looking to to to, to forward. Thirty-five million dollars, and da, 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 da. and here's a person who's running a major corporation, and falls for something that a school child should not fall for. And the answer is um, because the fantasy of the money affects your das. Das is very it, 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 real proof is not given to corruption because there's no there is no room for any um, there's no room for any subjective calling. It's a computer can do it and that's it. So it's either deliberate fraud or you can't do fraud. Uh, these type of things, your your das gets warped along with your desire and will. Um, let's give an example. Let's throw out an example. A person is um, is sitting and contemplating what's the right derech to be the kind of Torah. Is it a chassidish type of derech? Is it a yeshivish type of derech? Is it modern orthodox? Is it conservative? I don't know. Whatever it is. So a person is sitting on an island and makes and, and, and thinks about what's appropriate, his das will come up with one thing. He's sitting in an office, and, um, and everybody around him stares at him. His das will change. Um, because, or, if he's sitting on such a stable, his das might change. But his das is, the problem with the das is, it is given very much to um, influence because it's so intangible and so intuitive. So we've got a problem here that it's very hard for us to figure out exactly when we are honest 
and uh, when, when we're not us. So Das has the advantage of reaching out to the vast um, majority of life's real problems that proof and Bina can't handle. It's got the disadvantage of being extremely malleable by what you would like it to be. Um, there's a famous story, um, an old Yiddish joke, where an account, somebody's looking for an accountant for his company. And the first guy comes in and he says to him, how much is two and two? So he says, four. He says, no good. Um, you're too honest for me, too straight. Second guy comes in and, uh, he's, and the guy asks him, well, how much is two and two? So the guy winks and he says, it's six. So he says, no, you, you don't know your math. Not good for me. Third guy comes in and he says, how much is two and two? So he turns to the interviewer and says, now tell me how much you would like it to be. And we can work with that. It's a lot of times that is the issue. Uh, Rebbe Hanan, when he speaks about um, how it is that we expect of a young boy to believe Emunah, we, are, we, we think that the world's greatest thinkers, such as Aristotle, did not have to write Emunah. How do we expect him to have it? And his answer is that if a person's mind was clear, then Emunah would be the position he would take up. It's because we cloud it with different desires and so on that we don't reach that conclusion. So basically his point is the same obligation of the Torah that a person do right and therefore um, his mind becomes unclouded by Itzahara, that will also bring Emuna. Um, I, I just want to make that point. The point of Das being subject to uh, uh, influences, subtle, not so subtle influences, of a person's desire and so on. So, let's sum up this point. We have a tool, and the tool is uh, the tool for understanding things that are not given to proofs and so on is called Das. And that is the tool that we're going to have to use. We will try to introduce different points as, so to speak, leads, what are the type of tracks that we use to reach this understanding? But at the end of the day, it's still going to be a, a das thing. It is not proof. You can't prove these things. Um, there are svarim, and it, 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 when, when, you, um, when you look at the criticism of the so-called philosophical approach to Amuna, people make a mistake about it, and... Um, when they look at the criticism against the philosophical approaches to Emunah, they think that any type of learning about Inyan of Emunah is puzzle, which is absurd, actually. Um, what they mean specifically is as follows. If you ever take a look in the Chobos Halavavos, I mean, every, just backtrack a second, every single reasonable approach can be called philosophy. If I sit down and have a discussion with somebody, about what's right and what's wrong, well, that's philosophy. Um, any type of chachm of that nature. So what does it mean we can't use philosophy for Torah? Torah is true because Torah says it's true. I've heard that argument. Well, how do I know Torah is true? Um, so so I, any, the minute I start talking about that, that would fall under the very, very broad category of what we call philosophy. What they meant was something else. If you'll take a look in the Chovos al Vavos, which was the which was a safer use as an example of um, things that are a type of safer that they were not happy with, 
in the first Shara Yichud, he uses strict um, so-called logical proofs about God's existence. It's, it's, the, it's in the nature of things that are, um, you know, it cannot be that, it, it, it's sort of very much like the rigorous logical types of proof for the existence of God. Can it be two things will occupy something at the same time, so it has to be this or that. Those type of, of, of proofs, those are the types of proofs that were frowned upon. Um, first of all, like we said before, those things can be proven and disproven from day till tomorrow. Secondly, you know, when you deal with X and Y and Z, at some point you lose a sense. It's very hard. When you deal with something tangible, you can deal with certain rules about it. Part of what made a lot of Greek science absurd was they had all these bombastic points about things they really didn't know what they were. So what atoms are and how they work and can it be that something can be split down and is a circle a perfect orbit and all these things, they seem to us so divorced from reality because you didn't, you didn't know what an orbit was. So, so what is, why would a celestial being choose a not perfect orbit? Those are things that are laughable because there's so many assumptions. There's just so many assumptions you can make without talking about something you really don't know anything about. And the third and the more important part why they were so against it was there's something very arid about it, there's something very, very dry about the, all, of, all of these points. And that's why it doesn't really inspire you when, when your type of knowledge is based on um, all, all sorts of uh, very, very um, contorted arguments. So that was the philosophy they were against. But in the sense that a, re that a person needs to think about HaKadosh Baruch think about Amuna, make it more real to himself. And there are different types, I would use the word hisboninus, which I translate as contemplations. When a person thinks about things, for instance, let, let's, let's, give a very, uh, uh, let's give an example uh, uh, um, that we can relate to. Someone so did a favor for us. So, um, if I just say the dry argument, X has done, my, 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 my parents have done a lot for me, and therefore I owe them a lot of a karsatov. That statement is correct, I think everybody agrees with that, and that's fine. How much does it provoke, you know, when my parents need help, and they're older and, 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 and difficult, um, how much will that statement alone push me to do what's right? For most of us, it'll start, it, it, it will strain tremendously under the stress of taking an older person. But if a person lays back and remembers, thinks about his parents not sleeping nights because he was up, and running to the doctor, and having to suffer one visit with the principal and another visit with the principal, and uh, giving him the money to start him off, and, and, and denying themselves vacations so that he could do this and that. When a person thinks about these things, it settles in somewhere on his das. It, it becomes a lot more real and meaningful. The, the hisboninus in Amuna is when you have dry and cut statements, they don't tend to really last. When you think about the topics of Amuna, you give it the, 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 you flesh it out, that's where it comes in and, and that's where his boniness becomes real. Um, I'll find for more or what's the story? I don't know if you know how long we've been on. Another 10 minutes. Another 10 minutes. Okay. Let's, so let's start now with um, the first point about what should our starting point for Amuna be? And this is a very, very um, 
critical junction. Let's let's um, let's step back a moment and use our same guide that we said before about das. Which we're not we're not talking about mice in a laboratory, and uh, we're talking about real life. And Akadosh Baruch we're going to divide it into two groups. We who are born from, or have been from, for, for, for X amount of years, and that's where we are, and a person on the outside. And we have to understand that, as reasonable people, there's a great distinction. Um, and I will keep referring back to the point of reasonableness, because at the end of the day, the reason why this is important is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to judge us, and we have responsibilities in terms of moon and so on. If this was just a, some, if this is just kind of an academic course where we sit back and enjoy the arguments back and forth, um, well, then that wouldn't count. But really, it's an important issue because we wrestle with it either for ourselves, for others, etc. So we're going to ask ourselves, what is it as a reasonable person that we can and can't do? For instance, if I was really to need it to weigh evolution against the Bria Solo, I would honestly, I would have to go through everything written, know it, understand it, and test it, and so on. It is impossible. Nobody in the world can. Uh, the, 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 the cosmologist is not a paleontologist. The paleontologist is not a doctor. They're not philosophers. And we cannot. Neither a Baruch demands us, nor a reasonable human being demands of us. Nor the demands of being a reasonable person place it on us. Let's give an example in real life. Let's say I'm sitting down in Silver Spring with Pinchas, and someone asks me, why do I choose to live in Silver Spring? I say, very nice community. Uh, I can't say the weather very much, but the, uh, it's, it's, it's a very pleasant place. It's got a lot of nice things to it and so on. So the person says, well, you're talking about ignorance. Were you ever in Wichita, Kansas? Did you ever see Spokane, Washington, Portland, Oregon, Mexico City, uh, Auckland, New Zealand? So I turned to him and say, okay, so what do you propose I do? So he said, well, first make a tour of all the cities in the world, um, live like a half year in each one, and then make a decision, an honest decision, to which I would say, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think God has granted me 25,000 years to live. I, there's no way I could cover every city in the world and still be around to see it. That's not a reasonable approach. There are people who are constantly moving. And we look at them and say, there's something about them that's disordered. Something about their personality is not, it's not stable. Because a stable, reasonable person doesn't make those moves unless they're compelling reasons for it. Maybe it's in the army, they post them somewhere else, or if he doesn't have a job, or if they're living in a crime-fast area, fine. So what are, so as a reasonable person, what ought to make me move from Silver Spring? So there are two possibilities. One is, um, I'm very unhappy in Silver Spring. The weather is really gets your nerves. Um, the, you know, the people there are not nice, the jobs are scarce, I'm out of a job, the, the price of housing is way past, whatever it is. So there I have a compelling internal reason to move out. It's got to a point where I can't stay here longer and I need to go someplace else. Or I happen to go for a Shabbos to, I don't know, to, to 
Sherry Hill, and I say, oh my gosh, this is like a Gan Eden. And, uh, wow. That's, those are reasonable, for a reasonable person, those are reasons to move on. Um, same thing is true. It is, it's not a fault of a person that he hasn't explored and seen everything. If a person wanted to explore every religion, well, it, it, let's go slowly. It, Christianity, do we think that reading a book about Christianity will really tell us what Christianity is about? I mean, it, just flip it around. Imagine somebody reading a book about Judaism. Do you think he's really out in the picture? Unless he's learned Hebrew, lived in a Jewish community for a year. So Christianity does, is, is Catholicism and, and Protestantism. It's the Orthodox Church. I mean, they, 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 they all believe firmly that the other guy's going to go to hell. So we, we definitely need to support all. In Islam, you have two, three, four movements. Um, Buddhism has tons of uh, two large divisions and many smaller. And Hinduism, I have to learn the language, live with the people, and get a sense of it. Is that a reasonable um, way of getting at the emiss? And forgetting about, I mean, you're talking about major religions, and, and each one you have to get into its culture, its language, and so on. Just like if somebody happened to visit a shul for three hours, you don't think you really understand Yiddishkeit. So taking, going to Japan and taking a snapshot of something is not going to, it, it's not going to make you an expert in Shintoism. It's, you're going to have to live it. So um, it, the unreasonable person is trying out a new religion every year. Um, or something within Yiddishkeit itself and propels you outwards and bothers you enough, that you need to go out. But on the other hand, a reasonable person does take stock. He does visit other places occasionally. He does have some idea. He doesn't live in Wichita, Kansas, and never looked out of it. So somewhere along the line, there's a balance. But when someone comes to me and says, how do you know you're right and not Christianity? As far as I'm concerned, for me who's there, um, I, I, my starting point is Yiddishkeit. It's very different when, you ha when you're trying to convince someone else. And definitely when, when you need to make an argument to somebody to switch to, from being not secular to religious or whatever it is, th that would require a powerful argument. It's like the difference between, you know, anyone who's a salesman knows w w when you want to keep an old customer, it's much easier than getting a, a customer to switch to you. Get a customer switch you need, the burden of proof is on you. You need very powerful arguments, a little bit of Lashahara, etc., and maybe a, a few dollars here and there to get somebody to switch to you. But to keep a customer, you, there's a status quo, and, and that's a reasonable, status quo is a reasonable way. Stability and status quo go hand in hand. They are, they are almost the same thing. So in a Yonah Bermuda, we don't need to keep going back what we call zero-based budgeting. Okay, we believe in nothing. Let's stop. Um, it's it's not it's not a reasonable assumption unless a person is very bothered. Something is really bothering him, and and it's forced him to go back or he's seen something else. The habdol of al habdol even Yiddishkeit itself. There are different valid approaches. But if someone to ask me why do you see yourself as a mere yeshiva person and not as a gerah chassid? So I would say, well, I'd have to try Ger, I'd have to try Brest, I'd have to try Chabad, I'd have to try Panovich Yeshiva, I'd have to try Slavatka, I'd have to try YU. Um, I, you know, I, I can make, as a reasonable person, and being that I believe they're all within the pale of what I would consider to be Emmis, I do, would take a look at it, would meet, but it'd be very unstable. A person who spends a year at each place, um, there's, there's something not reasonable about it, something unstable about it. So, we, we, there's a great divergence 
in approaching a Muna between the person who's there. So when someone comes to me and says, yes, you believe that way and you feel that way because you were born there, my answer could be yes. But let me ask you, what do you believe? What do you feel? Um, do you believe in anything? Do you have, I have a world view of goodness and so on based on the following. Um, I've never bothered to start from scratch, but I have it and I feel comfortable about it. What is you? A secular person, the first argument with a secular person is you don't have a, a, a real world view about what's right or wrong. You have feelings. You're a good person. I, you know, most people you meet are good people. But you don't have any principles. You, you, you don't live anywhere. You're a kid out of college and you're looking for a job. So then you need to do some comparative shopping. But you, I don't have to... A kid who's out of college and looking for a job he doesn't say to himself, well, I've gone to college in Binghamton, so I'm going to stay in Binghamton. And no, Binghamton is gone. That's it. It's over with Binghamton. And now I'm looking and I'm, I have job office from San Francisco to Philadelphia and everything in between. I've got to look for that. Um, uh, most people that you'll meet in life are not, no one here is out to convert Christians. So we don't, that's not the approach we need to take. Most people are not out to convert someone who is fervently um, some other branch, most people that you will meet, the, ref the so-called reform people, there is a miuta de miuta de miuta that have any real um, philosophy of life that they've studied. It's, it's, it's a place that they, they identify the general goodness of God, and the Jewish people, and Torah, best at the best of their anything. But most secular people never thought about these issues really. Um, and again, they're not bad people, but in a certain sense, from their point of view, they body open. When he asks you, did you reconsider from the beginning or not, um, it wouldn't be reasonable. If someone has a powerful argument that he brings to your doorstep, it forces you to rethink things. And just as evolution, because it's come to, to our um, threshold, because all around us the world has believed that, and there's a lot of science behind it, a lot of scientists, we need to deal with it to some degree, because it, it, it's, it's knocked on our door. But that we, it's, it is a very unreasonable position that we need to go out and look at everything to discern the truth. Um, no reasonable person could ever do it, and uh, it would not get him anywhere. By the time he can make that decision, he'd be long deceased. So, the two basic, and it's really one issue, is when we're dealing with these issues, the perspective is not going to be proof or mathematical proof. It'll be what we call DAS, which is a human faculty of, um, of uh, reasonableness, I think would be the best translation. And it's, and it's a real tool. It's a tool that has an ability to get to emis to it. Um, the great wise people, wise people are not smart people. They're people whose reason um, points in the right direction. That's what we look at a wise person. Um, he weighs different issues, understands different science, and has a way of balancing it so that it points to um, the, the wisest direction. So in the great world of Emuna, we're going to try to come up with um, reasonable arguments, what we'd call evidence rather than proof, and reasonable arguments rather than infallible uh, arguments, we also are going to take the vantage point of ourselves as human beings um, with Akash expectations of us. And those expectations include Muna. 
but the, expect, the reasonable expectation of somebody is not to start all over again. Um, we are someplace, we feel, everybody listening to this feels a strong identification with it. He's troubled by issues that were never dealt with head-on, never discussed, um, never, but that doesn't require not believing anything. Um, it's it's uh, just like when a person goes, let's say, to patch up a, a difficult marriage. What he's trying to do is he's saying is, I think there's a lot there, and I need to work out the, the shortcomings, the issues, the problems. But I don't need to start from the beginning again. Um, there was somebody once who had a very, very difficult, if something happened and it was very difficult to manage, and there was some real issues, some emotional crisis, and um, they were separated. And somebody, somebody suggested the following, they should start the process all over again. This was after two years of being married with a child, two or three years. And they should start going out on a date again. And it was, seemed, it was ludicrous. I mean, what do you mean you start from the beginning again? It's like, hello, they know each other. What do you ask each other, like, where they're coming from and what their worldviews are? It's, it's not, we are where we are. And all of us, I think, listening are, have a very strong identification with it. But there are pieces that are missing. We never thought about them. We never discussed them. We never really got into it. So it's going to be an advantage point for us. If you meet people on the outside, how you deal with that, I think that for the vast majority of people, it's not as if we're coming to tell them to change something that they have. For most people, they never had anything. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, I once saw many years ago when, when, the, when people started moving towards becoming very secular, um, the, the, so someone had a dialogue with a neighbor of his who was totally, who had made themselves totally secular. And they had a very powerful, say moving dialogue. The secular person was a nice person, told the from person, you know, you are pre-prejudicing your, pre your children by giving them all of that Judaism and Torah and all these things that your values. And we leave a completely blank slate and let our children choose. And the person replied, do you mean to say that you are giving nothing to your children? Isn't that what you're saying? You, you know, and, and now in, in, in the most basic, deepest human emotion is to give a legacy or inheritance. We worked very hard our lives um, to make money and we want to give that over to our children. We, we, we uncovered a lot of truths in our lives. Um, and those things that we uncovered, we want to give to our children. And they will have, they will make decisions with it later. We don't want the kids to invent wheels all over again um, because they'll never get anywhere. The, those areas that we think are real truths, we give to our children. Um, and uh, if you don't, you're giving nothing. Most people, the vast majority of people that are secular, got nothing. And therefore, it's not as if you're trying to get him to switch a company. He doesn't have life insurance. So the question is not why switch from Apex to Acme. The question is to get life insurance. That's a much easier sales um, than, than pushing somebody away from Apex to Acme. Okay.